Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. Are you going through menopause or perimenopause? It can be a struggle to find comfort in your body with night sweats, hot flashes, and so many other uncomfortable symptoms. Hormone Harmony is a supplement for women going through perimenopause, menopause, or postmenopause created by Happy Mammoth. They are dedicated to making women's lives easier using only science-backed ingredients that have been proven to work for women. Hormone Harmony contains science-backed herbal extracts called adaptogens. They help the body adapt to any stressors like chaotic hormonal changes that happen naturally throughout women's lives. So hormone harmony isn't just for menopause. Any woman with symptoms of hormonal imbalances can take it, but it's perfect for those horrible menopause symptoms that put a woman's life on hold. Hot flashes and night sweats, racing thoughts and low moods, poor sleep and feeling tired all the time. For a limited time, you can get 15% off on your entire first order at happymammoth.com. Just use the code CHAT at checkout. That's happymammoth.com and use the code CHAT for 15% off today. Therapy Chat Podcast, Episode 355. This is the Therapy Chat Podcast with Laura Reagan, LCSWC. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. And now, here's your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. This week's episode is sponsored by Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now, for all you prescribers out there... Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Use coupon code CHAT or click the link in the show notes to get two free months at therapynotes.com. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. I'm your host, Laura Reagan, and today I'm bringing you a conversation that was a tough one to have for me. I loved learning from my guest, but I think as we were talking, I kind of realized that I'm a survivor of the type of trauma that she's talking about. And I hadn't really connected that before we talked. So it's a good thing we did, right? That's the amazing thing, how insidious trauma can be. And this type of trauma, I think, is highly insidious because it's very culturally bound. 
Today, we're talking about religious trauma. The United States was originally colonized by, quote, the Puritans, people who had a very fundamentalist Christian ideology. And it's very much woven into the fabric of the culture of the United States. So whether or not you identify with being Christian, it's pervasive in our cultural norms and attitudes. Those beliefs, not to say that the religious beliefs are universal, but their influence is felt in our culture. And that can be very insidious. We always talk about culture. It's the water we're swimming in. We don't even know we're in it. So I think what happened to me as I was listening to my guest, Dr. Quincy Gideon, describing religious trauma, I started to see ways that I was impacted by it. I remember as we were talking, feeling very like, whoa, wow. <laughs> it was sobering for me. So be interesting to hear from you. What did you think of this episode? I am deeply grateful to Quincy for coming to Therapy Chat today to talk about this. It's a super important topic and so many people are harmed in the name of religion and something that's supposed to be positive for people can be used to harm them in so many ways, unfortunately. So let me tell you a little bit more about my guest today. Quincy Gideon is a clinical psychologist specializing in religious trauma and cult recovery. She owns a private practice in Los Angeles called Woven Together Trauma Therapy, where clinicians specialize in providing trauma care for complex and chronic trauma. Quincy also owns an online education space called Traumastery, where she teaches survivors to better understand and overcome their religious trauma or cult abuse. And I'm very grateful she has that space. She hosts a podcast called Multiple Sources, where she focuses on religious trauma and telling the stories of the survivors that have escaped from these toxic spaces. She said, gotten out. I said, escaped. So I will put a link to Quincy's podcast and her course in the show note, the show notes for this episode. Quincy was kind enough to give a special training to our Trauma Therapist Network members for free included in membership. And it was so powerful. People were really raving about how helpful it was. So if you're a therapist who's thinking about joining Trauma Therapist Network, you would get access to that training with Quincy, as well as all the other trainings we've had on sexual violence, psychedelics and trauma therapy, money mindset mastery from a bottom-up and energy level perspective from Carrie Nola, the talk that Brad Kammer will be giving on November 9th to our membership. He was a recent guest on last week's episode, in fact. So there's a lot of great content in Trauma Therapist Network. There's recorded content as well as the live calls. And if you're a therapist who works with trauma survivors, I hope you'll consider joining us because registration is currently open. As of this week, when you're hearing this, the waiting list is still open and the waiting list is getting first access and a special offer that ends possibly by the time you listen to this. And then registration will open for the general public after that. Therapists only, not the general public across the board, but people who are not on the waiting list. So if you need a space for support and community and connection, if you want to go from feeling isolated, overwhelmed, de-skilled in your work with 
clients who have trauma to feeling joyful, remembering why you went into this field, having compassion for yourself and your clients. Again, join Trauma Therapist Network. We spend our time connecting, supporting one another, encouraging one another, mentoring, guiding, helping, laughing, crying. We have weekly self-care, case consultation, Q&A, and training calls. So there's four calls a month, all live, recorded, and you can watch them live or watch the recording. So if you want to check that out, go to go.traumatherapistnetwork.com slash join to join the waiting list. And when the waiting list is no longer waiting and registration is open, that link will go right to the registration. So let's dive into my conversation with Dr. Quincy Gideon and learn more about how religious trauma can show up in our clients' lives and in our lives and what to do about it. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. I'm your host, Laura Reagan, and today I'm so pleased to be interviewing Dr. Quincy Gideon. Quincy, thank you so much for being my guest on Therapy Chat today. My pleasure. I'm glad to be here. I'm so excited. I first met you through your membership in Trauma Therapist Network, and I was really like fascinated to learn about what you do specializing in religious trauma and cult abuse recovery. So we, I definitely want to hear a lot more about how you practice and who this helps and what you do. But let's just start with you telling our audience a little bit about who you are and what you do. Sure. I am a clinical and forensic psychologist in California, and this is actually how I got my start. I started off in the forensic world where I was evaluating a lot of folks that were in the legal system and the justice system. And we were trying, they needed to be evaluated to see if they were safe to come back into the community. And I happened to get matched or placed with a couple of defendants that were cult leaders back in the day. And so this was a early foray into a cult leadership and religious trauma. Both of them had come from highly abusive and restrictive religious environments. And so So I had to do a deep dive in all of that because I'm making a case to a judge about whether they are safe enough to go back into the community. And so that was about 10, 15 years ago, 10, 12 years ago. And since then, I've kind of made it my clinical practice. It's my specialty now. I have a private practice in Los Angeles, and then we have like an online forum, an online community of cult survivors and religious trauma survivors. And so this ends up being what I do most of my day. Well, it's very important work. And oh, that's so fascinating that when you were starting out, you were paired up with two cult leaders. Mm -hmm. I didn't think about when we were going to be talking about cult abuse and religious trauma that cult leaders are potentially religious trauma and abuse Mm -hmm. survivors as well. Got to remember that compassionate perspective because that's the key. We're all human and we're all starting out with the right intentions and things can go far astray. Yeah, I think in my opinion, this is why religious trauma can be so insidious is that for some people, it's going to be crushing and they're going to spend a lot of their life trying to feel self-esteem and develop emotionally and kind of put their feet back underneath them. And for other people, they're going to have a really strong strong either personality response to that or like a very strong charismatic response to that repression. And they will really kind of go off into offshoots or off into the weeds into a very insular controlled group that kind of circulates around them 
because they didn't have that growing up, but they do have a lot of practice in restrictive environments. So they know how to put that in place. They know how to make that a thing for these groups, but now it's also kind of around them and it's meeting some of their needs that they didn't get met earlier. So I think that the possibilities of what comes out of religious trauma are in my opinion, so heinous that it really, we really have to start talking about it in a bigger and deeper way because it can have really detrimental impacts on people. Yes. So let's talk about what we mean or what you mean, how you define Mm -hmm. religious trauma and how it overlaps with cult abuse and recovery. (laughs) So small question. (laughs) Yeah, I'll try to hit them all here. I like to start with the definition of trauma. I understand trauma as being anything that happens too much, too fast, or too often, or some of the, sometimes it's all three of those things that kind of come into your awareness and you stop thriving. You stop paying attention to all the pieces. You stop being able to really kind of take in and make logical decisions and you move into a survival mode, right? That in my definition, that is what trauma does to us. And in the aftermath, we're having to do a lot of work to kind of get back to a thriving place where we can now pay attention to all the things again, all the necessary things. When we're talking about religious trauma, I take that same definition of trauma, anything that happens too much, too fast, and too often, and you put that inside of a religious environment. And that means that you've now dragged God or a higher power into the abusive, oppressive, traumatizing messages that a person is receiving. So this can happen in a number of different ways. So one of the things that's kind of obvious for so many of us is purity culture that happens in so much of the Christian evangelical world, although it also happens in Orthodox Judaism and things like that. But it's the high restriction on particularly women's body, Mm -hmm. girls' bodies, their sexuality the their dress the way that they spend time who they're able to spend time with how closely they're monitored how much how much they are put in charge of other people's sexual purity right just by simply walking down the streets are your shorts too short and if they are you have now caused someone else to sin that's on you that's something you have to sort of live with so we've taken message that is too much it's too much for a little girl to manage the sexuality of every single person that she comes in contact with. (laughs) And now we've dragged God into that. We've said that now there's an eternal impact. If you don't step up to this plate, if you don't follow the rules, if you don't please God in some way, there are going to be very detrimental impacts on you, your family, your church, and you can expect God to punish you, keep you out of heaven, be very angry with you, be disappointed, which maybe is worse than anger. You can expect all of those things to happen if you are not managing all of the things that you're told to manage. So it's this religious, this God now is invested in the very messages or the very things that you're told that have a very traumatic kind of impact, even if they didn't have God, right? Even if it was just like, dad is going to be mad at you. If you walk around with shorts that are too short, society is going to slut shame you. If you are an over-sexualized woman moving out in the world, it's not just that it's yes, society and family and your close group and all of your friends. And now God is dragged into that and God feels the same. Yeah. And that's just like mind blowing really, because I don't 
live in that world where I think of hell as a punishment. I'm not worried about that, but I can mm-hmm. imagine if you were a child and that was, or an adult, I mean, anyone, if you believe that's possible, that mm-hmm. fear could be terrifying. And yeah, I never thought about that with purity culture. Mm-hmm. I, I've thought about purity culture as being a major problematic, oppressive, misogynistic thing, mm-hmm. patriarchal, but homophobic. I mean, yeah. oh my God, we can go on. <laughs> yes. Yes. And the harm that mm-hmm. it causes to every group. Yes. But notice that there's some like circular reasoning that goes on in this. So here is the standard of behavior that you're expected to have in let's say purity culture. And the punishment is that God will be mad at you. And even though this is not what is taught on the pulpit, I mean, you're told that if you just say one prayer, you're going to heaven and there's nothing that you could do to mess that up and nothing you could do that God wouldn't love you. But that's not actually what is told to you. That's not actually what is sewn into the daily messages of your religious experience, your religious community. You're actually told that maybe God is punishing you because look at that bad thing that happened because you're not quote living in God's will, Mm -hmm. or you're not quote reading enough of the Bible in God's word enough, right? Like there's all of these ways in which kind of unrelated, this is a little bit of magical thinking, unrelated events are told to you as being like some punishment because you're quote outside of the will of God. Right. And so, okay. So you have, here's a behavioral expectation. You don't meet it somehow. And even if no one else knows about it, you know about it. So you're guilt ridden and you're shame ridden over that. Now you're also going to look around you and you're going to see how God is punishing you. Did you get a flat tire? Did you get a bad grade on that test? Are all of your friends really mad at you? Is your dad or mom mad at you? Like you're going to look around you for some evidence that you're being punished. That evidence is going to further support what the church has told you, which is hell is a terrible place to be. And if this is God's punishment here on earth, just imagine what hell will be like. And so even though there's no evidence that this stuff is happening, it's not actually true that you got a flat tire because you're outside of the will of God, because all of that happens in this really closed circuit of reasoning. There's nothing that's going to come in to argue, well, wait a minute, that's not actually how any of this happens. Because at this point now we're so afraid of what is happening that we're just grappling, like just grabbing at anything that we can to get back into the good graces of God. So what does that mean? Now we're going to manage ourselves even more. Now we're going to really think about what clothes we're wearing. We're really going to think about our behaviors. We're really going to think about how the community might interpret some of our behaviors, because if the community sees it that way, well, God probably definitely does right? There's no new information that can come into this system of reasoning because it just sort of feeds on each other, right? You're just kind of circulating around these same fears and they all end at all of our fears all end with an eternity in hell. That's the big, that's the big thing that's sort of held over people in religion. I mean, the way you're describing it really brings home just how inescapable shaming is. And I would argue that this is one of the more traumatic elements is that when it is inescapable, when you are totally helpless, when you will lose your entire family, your entire community, your entire identity, certainly maybe a job, maybe you work for the local ice cream shop, but that guy's a deacon. (laughs) 
right. <laughs> the owner is like, when you are threatened with losing everything, if you start to question this unreasonable circular thing that you're in cycle that you're in, then I think that is the ultimate helplessness ultimate, mm-hmm. right? Because it's a very measurable thing around you and it is inescapable. And also the thing that the religions typically teach is that God is inescapable. Mm-hmm. You can't go to the bathroom. You can't have a thought. You can't have a prayer. You can't have a a moment where you have quote negative thoughts coming in without God observing that and being so interested. This is also an interesting thing to think about, but that religions will teach you that God is so interested in even the most menial thoughts that you have to really manage yourself. I mean, just think about that. A God of the universe (laughs) is so careful or thoughtful or upset about even our most inner workings is really, it's sort of a new level of cult leadership of cult management of high control group and really having to manage what goes on inside of us. It's really insidious. Ooh, yes. Wow. I mean, you can't escape your own thoughts and we have all kinds of thoughts that just float through and just float on by that should be able to just not even grab onto if. Yeah. A thought is a thought. It don't matter. Yeah. (laughs) It's just a thought. All right. So purity culture. I don't think that's what people think of when we think of like cults. I had a real visceral reaction to it, but I now I'm like, wow, it's a lot deeper than I even was thinking. So mm-hmm. I'm so grateful for you explaining all of this already. Yeah, I will say that this is oftentimes something that does function in cults. There's kind of some factors that we look at. We look at how much you lean into magical thinking. You rely, like the cult relies on mystical thinking, the connecting of two unconnected events and making them somehow divine or mystical in nature, right? Mm. A cult is very good at doing that. There's things like milieu control where everything that you're interacting with is managed in some ways by the cult and you end up embodying that as well. So not only the foods you eat, the places that you go, the people that you interact with, the places that you live, but also it starts to become the education that you get, the clothes that you wear, the ways in which you mark yourself for outsiders to sort of see that you are a part of the inside group. And so that that ends up meaning that they leave you alone, right? And so you become Mm -hmm. even more insular. And then another thing that we look for in cults is just the demand for purity. This is a very common thing. So some cults will need, will say that only the cult leader can have sex, but no one else can, or the cult leader will say things like you, no one can have sex, but in the background, he's actually sexually assaulting people without acknowledging that. And that can have its obviously its own traumatic impact. There's also purity, like what you eat. So there's some cultic groups that will require like no medical intervention. The Jehovah's witnesses won't let you get transfusions because of this, because it's sort of seen as ungodly to take in blood from someone else. It's a purity thing. So it's not just sexual purity. It can happen in a lot of other ways to like the food, the medicine, the things that you put into your body, the music that you listen to, the television that you watch. If it's not wholesome in some ways, it's going to be corrupting you. In some ways, it's seen as impure and something to be avoided. Wow. And then when you talked about the blood transfusion, it just made me think about like just the whole, I don't know, 
it feels like there's a heavy like whiteness to this. Mm -hmm. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Yeah, I would say that most groups that we that I look at and study and help people get out of there is a deeply racist undercurrent, even if a huge portion of the groups are black and brown people. So part of the Jehovah's Witnesses, they have a higher black and brown population within their congregations. I would say we could backtrack that to several decades where they did a lot of evangelizing in poor communities that were mostly made up of black and brown people. And so there's sort of a there was a current of folks that were coming in, but they also say that there's 144,000 people that get into heaven. Everyone else just sort of goes to sleep when they die and then they wake up and they make a heaven here on earth or God makes a heaven here on earth. And that's about the best heaven that you can expect. But 144,000 people actually get into a celestial heaven, like next to God. And that lineup is remarkably lily white in its makeup and its demographics. So yeah, it is, it's, I would say that whiteness is purity. It is sort of focused on whether it's ethnic or racial or even religious purity. And that and, ends uh, up being white heteronormative. You That's know. right. And that ends up being sewn into the purity culture. But again, we're taking a white notion or even a nationalistic notion. Yeah. And we're saying that God agrees with that. And then that's when it becomes really traumatic for people because there's no way to answer questions or ask questions without losing your entire community and losing what you believe is your access to God. Running a group private practice has been a challenging and rewarding experience, and one thing that has made it so much easier is Therapy Notes. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. If you're coming from another EHR, like I did, Therapy Notes makes the transition incredibly easy, importing your demographic data free of charge so you can get going right away. My team has found Therapy Notes very easy to learn. It's intuitive. The customer support is second to none. And that's one of the things that has kept me a Therapy Notes customer for several years now. Anytime I've needed to contact Therapy Notes for help with an issue I couldn't figure out on my own, I've been able to get through to someone and resolve the issue within 15 minutes, 99% of the time. Find out what more than 100,000 mental health professionals already know. Try Therapy Notes for two months absolutely free. Just click on the link in the show notes or enter the promo code chat at therapynotes.com. Hey therapists, this is Laura Reagan. If you listen to this show regularly, you're hearing a lot about trauma and attachment, and you probably know these two underlying concerns are what drive most people to seek therapy regardless of how the symptoms present. The good news is trauma is becoming a buzzword, and that's great because more people are discovering there's a reason they feel the way they do, and now they can name what they need help with, but they need to find therapists who can help them. And that's where you come in. Join Trauma Therapist Network's therapist directory now at the founding member price of $33 a month, and you'll receive a beautiful listing that can function as a web page if you don't want to set up your own site or even if you have your own. And you can include links to videos of yourself, blog posts, and you're part of a community. Right now, we have quarterly calls for all members. Our first one happened in October, and it was lovely. 
Everyone said they really enjoyed it, but I'm adding more content that will begin to be available March 1st, 2022. And if you sign up for February 1st, you'll be locked in at the founding member price of $33 a month. February 1st, the price is going to go up to $97 a month to reflect the added value of these new offerings. And everybody who signs up as a founding member for $33 a month will get all that content beginning March 1st, as long as you keep your membership. I'm really excited about what's to come. We're going to have weekly live calls, four per month, and one will be a Q&A, one will be focused on self-care, one will be case consultation, and one will be training on a certain topic. Hurry on over to traumatherapistnetwork.com to sign up and become a founding member of this beautiful community of wonderful, passionate, and skilled trauma therapists. We need you. People who have trauma are out there looking for you, and they don't know how to discern that you specialize in trauma. So come on over to the Trauma Therapist Network and get listed. Join our community and this movement, traumatherapistnetwork.com. Yeah, I can see why people feel, again, it's like gangs or something where Uh it's like just feels impossible to leave that behind, especially if you're really indoctrinated into it from Mm -hmm. childhood, which uh, most people are with religion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, this is tough stuff, certainly. Yeah. So what made you go into this field? I mean, you, you mentioned the forensic work, but from us talking earlier, I don't think that was the only entree. No, it certainly was not. I like to call myself an ex-evangelical. So I grew up in an evangelical fundamentalist Baptist environment, which means that they were highly restrictive on all things humanity. (laughs) I mean, Mm -hmm. there was just such a, we were taught that this world is this life that you're living is literally the most annoying thing that you have to get through painful, stupid, unimportant, that your only mission in life is just to get dead and get to heaven. Truly. That's where the real happiness happens. That's where the real fulfillment happens. And so what did it matter if you really fell in love? And what does it matter if you do anything that's really important to you? Now, I will say that my family, although they were a part of this, they kind of had different ideas. I come from two very passionate parents about what they do for their jobs. They're a coach and a teacher, and they kind of lived with a lot of passion. So that was kind of a like, I did get exposure to something different than what the church was leading me to, but we took on the Duggar type dating strategy, which is courtship. And there's only side hugs and maybe holding hands before you decide to get married. And only then do you kiss. But most people were encouraged to wait until their wedding day to kiss person for the first time. There's just a massive repression of all things human. And it, that was sort of the air I was breathing for a very long time. Very painful things happened along the way. I was a part of a a church that at some point it was discovered that the youth pastor was having an illicit sexual relationship with one of the youth members, but that was not disclosed to the church, but the entire youth ministry knew, but we were told not to make a big deal out of it so that we wouldn't shame our our friends that was being Mm -hmm. abused Mm -hmm. and traumatized. But the announcement that went out to the church is that this man had just had an affair 
with a woman, not a child, but a woman, and that he was just going to take some time in order to get reconnected to his family and to go through what they called biblical counseling, which is spoiler alert, not counseling. And so that, that was one of the more painful things that happened. I became a missionary. In my former life, I lived in Africa on and off, had a nonprofit there. Most of it was religiously oriented and evangelical in nature. There was lots of proselytizing to the folks that I believed were literally heading straight to the pits of hell unless they heard the quote, good news of the gospel. And then I followed all the rules. And married a man that met all of the checklists. So this is one of the things that happen in really fundamentalist or even evangelical churches is that young girls are told to make a list of things that they want in a partner. And when you find someone that meets the things on that list, it doesn't matter if you're attracted to them. It does not matter what they actually do, how emotionally mature they are, you know, how compatible you are. As long as they meet that checklist, then you are good to go. And the church really supports this. So I married a man and on my wedding night, I had a sinking feeling that something was terribly wrong. He disappeared on our wedding night. I had no, I have no idea where he went. I proceeded to have a pretty emotionally abusive, restrictive, oppressive marriage with him and then discovered somewhere along the way that he was in a relationship with other people and that he was gay. And I just had so much compassion. My heart was sort of broken for him that this was his only way to have a relationship within the context of our highly restrictive religious environment and that I had to get dragged into that, right? And that there was no one that felt like it was important for me to just ask questions like, yeah, but like, how's the chemistry? Yeah. But like, what's it like? Are you more than friends? No one thought that was important. And I would say that it was extra hurtful when I learned that the church was actually actively covering up what they knew to be his affairs because they believed that this was, and I quote, the devil tempting him and that he, this is not how God wants people to live. And he just had to get that right. And that I didn't need to be a part of that conversation. He just needed to like get it right before I found out about it. So there was just all kinds of layers of betrayal, hurt, confusion. I felt like I had been lied to. And yet I also had no other context outside of a really abusive and oppressive environment. And so when I decided to start asking those questions, it was like I was having such a bifurcated experience. Like I would, I would be extra super spiritual bypassy <laughs> some days where it's like, God's not going to give me anything more than I can handle. I just need to pray about this. I just need to submit to him. This is all language that's deeply embedded in the Christian church. And then on other days I would be like, I don't want to be a part of this. Like what, what is happening? I don't want any part of it. So I was having a going back and forth because I couldn't stay in one place too long, like emotionally, Mm. because I was still so indoctrinated into the religion that I was so afraid that I was going to lose 
quote, God's favor or my eternal home in heaven. This is something that we talk about a lot in my religion. So yeah, this was a slow undoing. And I felt that I felt very alone. I felt like I had no idea that there were people that thought differently than me, or at least I didn't know how to do that well. Like I knew the church really sets up like an insider versus outsider sort of dynamic. This is very culty, right? Where they say everyone else is of the world and they're dangerous because of that. They will tempt you. They are the devil's playground. Like don't be close friends. Don't interact with someone lest they tempt you in some way. So I knew that there was people that lived differently than me. I just didn't know what it looked like. I didn't know what dating might look like or friendships might look like, or even a career might look like if it wasn't all bent towards evangelizing and living sort of by the rules of this group. And so, yeah, I think that this became a space that I both sat in kind of with misery (laughs) because it is so lonely for people that are trying to get out. And there wasn't a lot of people that were talking about this at the time that were talking about religious trauma. I think religious trauma survivors are gaslit like you wouldn't believe. And so I very much believed that I just had it wrong. And if I could just like get myself right in some ways, I would stop suffering that maybe I had done something wrong, which is why I had gotten into that marriage in first place, that God was teaching me a lesson. I mean, can you imagine being Mm -hmm. in this space and thinking like, I don't know, maybe the God of the universe is just so mad at me that he needed to teach me a lesson in this horrifying marriage that took forever to get out of. (laughs) It took me longer to get out of it than it did to actually be married. So yeah, I think that it was such a confusing experience that it became something that I thought clinically there, this is a very specific kind of trauma that people need help with. And it's been a long process and it didn't start in a day, but yeah, it ends up being what I talk about most now in therapy. Wow. It's very helpful to consider where you were and where you are now. And I appreciate you sharing your story. Yeah. I hope it is hopeful because I, I don't know if I was looking around thinking like, oh yeah, over there, she's living the sort of life that I would like to live in that space. I was looking at everyone else being like, I don't know. Does that mean I go to hell? I don't know if like, if I live that way, does that mean God rejects me? I was just so sort of confused by it all. So I'm hoping that I don't know, more explicit conversations about this, about what my experience was. And then sort of seeing that now I move through my day and like, kind of don't think about it, which if you were to talk about this with someone that's kind of in the middle of their religious trauma, I would say that most of them are overwhelmed with the sense of guilt and shame and fear. And this is something that is sewn into every part of their day. And to see me saying, I can talk about this. I'm actually not triggered by it anymore. I could talk about your experience and it doesn't hurt my feelings, even if you disagree with me and that I walk through my day outside of talking about this stuff for work. And I don't, I'm not ridden with guilt and shame and fear. And this is freedom folks. Like this is really what our churches were telling us that they were going to give us, but in actuality, they weren't. Yeah. I just, I have two thoughts and so many thoughts, but two thoughts that stand out about what you just said. One is like, when you said you go, when you're not talking about this, you go about your life. And I just pictured like doing life. 
huh? yeah. having fun and yes, or having troubles and life, love mm-hmm. and your own interests and what you yep. want to do that yes. freedom. Yeah. Yeah. But the other piece that I wanted to ask you is when you said that religious trauma survivors are gaslit, like you wouldn't believe outside of the church, are they being gaslit? Mm-hmm. Like when they try to get therapy or uh, what do you- yeah, I mean, I think it happens in a lot of different ways. I think it starts in the church. Then I think the religious trauma survivor internalizes that gaslighting like most abuse survivors. And now they don't need the abuser to do it. They can just do it all by themselves. They can question themselves and call themselves crazy and talk themselves out of any sort of gut instinct or reaction that they're having. And so that's sort of going on all the time. And then sometimes I think they go to, to therapy and therapists are humans too. And a lot of them have their own religious experiences that have not been worked through or are Mm -hmm. still very tightly held. And so they end up going back into a space and maybe some of them even look for, I need a Christian counselor or I need a Jewish therapist because it's too scary to think about going to someone that might not hold your same faith. But what ends up happening a lot of times in, in those spaces is they feel a bit evangelized too that these it's a going back to God or a trying to rectify or even saying like, well, there's churches that do it differently. I would argue that's wholly unhelpful. It's just unhelpful. (laughs) That person will go and find those churches when they're ready to Google and like talk to people and literally interview clergy, which I actually really suggest people do if they're going to get back into a religious environment, but that starts to feel when someone is sitting in front of you being like, well, there's churches that do it differently, or there's temples that do it differently. It's just, oh, that's where we're going. Your hope is that I am going to find a way to get back in to some environment like this. And that stuff, in my opinion, stops the trauma therapy at that point, because now the survivor is having to protect themselves from what they now know is the goal of a therapist that is biased in this way because they either haven't worked through their own stuff or they're still tightly affiliated with a religion. And it feels like a bit, I don't know, like it feels they feel defensive because they're a part of a group that is hurting people. And I don't blame them for that defensiveness, but also you got to own that as a therapist. I'm going (laughs) to let that one hang in the air for a second for people to absorb because Yeah. yeah, I mean, I can understand, let's say I were raised in Orthodox Orthodox Judaism. And then there was like, it was oppressive and I was harmed. I was traumatized by that. And then I go, well, I want a therapist who understands Orthodox Judaism. And if the therapist is still practicing, then those beliefs that practicing that religion, not to Mm -hmm. single out Orthodox Judaism, but I'm just veering from the Christianity Mm -hmm. that we were talking about before Mm -hmm. can be any group. If the therapist is still in that world, then their view is going to be through that lens and see how they can separate their bias if it's that type of insular community. But then on the other hand, yeah, yeah, I think you have to, I think you have to pay attention to what group membership means. I think this is true of politics. I think this is true of religions and groups and book clubs. Mm -hmm. Your membership is essentially supporting at least the majority, maybe not all, but at least the majority of what's being taught or talked about in those spaces. Your silence is also supporting the ongoing 
repression of people. So if you are still a part of a repressive or rigid religion and someone is coming to you for therapy and you haven't made your feelings known, but also when you make your feelings known, they're not going to like you there and you're probably going to have to leave. So, so your very membership in that space tells me a couple of things. Number one, you haven't kicked up enough dust and I'm concerned about that. Or number two, you aren't aware of some of the doctrine that goes on inside of that religion that is actually hurtful and traumatizing to people. And both of those are very problematic for me, especially when people are in a really fragile space and they're coming to you for help. I mean, this is really valuable to think about deeply because not to disparage anyone's religion and we have to know what our biases are, whatever Mm -hmm. they are, because we can do harm if we don't. And If we're trying to bring someone back to something that has harmed them, that's a problem. That's just Mm -hmm. clear. Seems so tricky. Gosh, I mean, obviously it's a specialty, so it is very complex, but I wish we had more time. I'm excited that you're going to talk to our Trauma Therapist Network members about this in more depth, but for listeners now who either are hearing something making them say, oh my gosh, I might, this could be me. What does your community offer and how can they get into it? Yeah, we have an online support community called Traumastery, kind of like monastery, but Traumastery. See that play on religious words. We, so we're at, we are on the interwebs at Traumastery and we recently launched the thing I'm probably most excited about that I've ever done in my whole career. And it is a monthly membership. Now I realize the irony of talking about a membership with people that are getting out of memberships and cults, but it is a safe environment to talk about some of the big things that happen. So today I talked about circular reasoning and magical thinking and a little bit of deconstruction. I didn't use that word, but that's the process of sort of undoing some of this stuff. I talked about some of the features of high control groups and milieu control and all of that. And so we take one theme a month and I basically teach about it all month and we try to make it really cost-effective. So the membership is called A Year of Non-Magical Thinking and it's $35 a month. And our hope is just that it would be really accessible for folks that maybe just want to like have something on their phones or on their computers that they can learn a little bit and then just sit with it, just sort of marinate in it. Don't overwhelm yourself. But also we have people in that group that are further along in the process and have been hugely supportive for the newbies that might just need a little bit more of like, they're still deer in the headlights and they're feeling a little overwhelmed and full of guilt and shame and fear. And it's nice to have other people that have been there and they're a little bit further down the road. And they're like, yes, I remember that, you know, what helped me. And then they're able to just like give some support in some way to me. That's what I longed for whenever Mm -hmm. I was coming out of this. And so it's been my hope for the last 10 years to create the very thing that I was longing for. And I think we've done it (laughs) with this. And I'm really, I really think that it could be helpful for people. So a year of non-magical thinking you can join it at any time. You can leave at any time. This is important for anyone. You should be able to leave a group at any time. 
and they can find that at traumasterry.com. Excellent. And yeah, it sounds like you're saying that people don't have to be fully out of these groups I, to be nope, able to be I would part of your membership. Say we're, yeah, we're 50, 50, 50% yeah. are still in and there's all kinds of folks. There's Jehovah's witnesses, there's Mormons, there's fundamental Christians, there's Orthodox Jews. There's all kinds of folks. There's some that were, that are still in pretty gnarly cults, like the two by twos. And yeah, so there's all kinds of people in our group and you can be as private as you want to. We kind of build that in. You don't have to give your real name. You don't have to do any of that. We don't want mm. to put you in dangerous way. We just want you to know that there's something out there that's not your group and um, you shouldn't have to live like this. Wow. Quincy, thank you, man. Yeah. This is great. So aside from wanting to join Traumastery, where can people find you? I didn't even mention that you are co-host of a podcast too. So where yeah. can they find all that good stuff that you're doing? Well, I spend most of my time on Instagram. So that's at Dr. Quincy. And my name is spelled with two E's at the end. So D-R-Q-U-I-N-C. And that's usually my handle across most of the platforms. And yeah, my podcast, we actually talk about religious trauma and cult recovery. And we are currently recording season two, where we are talking to people that have infiltrated some of these groups undercover. They are telling some of their stories, of course, anonymously, but just to tell you how some of these, these groups function on the inside, I'm so thrilled for it. And the podcast is called multiple sources. Yes. Awesome. So I'll link to the podcast and your Instagram page as well as okay, great. Monastery in the show notes. And thank you so much for taking my the pleasure. time to come on Therapy Chat today. Yeah, it's been my pleasure. Thanks for talking about this. This is really important. Thank you to Therapy Notes for sponsoring this week's episode. I do love Therapy Notes. It's such an asset to my business and makes my job as a practice owner and a therapist much easier. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. Use coupon code CHAT or click the link in the show notes to get two free months at therapynotes.com. Thank you for listening to Therapy Chat with your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. For more information, please visit therapychatpodcast.com. Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today.